Hey, this is Dr. Rob. Welcome to Biblical Genetics. I'm coming to you today from the Weeks Bay Pitcher Plant Bog in coastal Alabama. It is 8 o'clock in the morning and it is already like a billion percent humidity. I am dripping with sweat. The paper that I'm using for my notes is all curled up in the humidity. It's funny because last weekend I was up in Cody, Wyoming, nice and cool and nice and dry. And I spoke at its church and I met these awesome people and I got to see Yellowstone. I had about a, a day or two at home and I turned around for the seven hour drive uh, down to this area. Again, I spoke at a church yesterday, met some awesome people. This is part of the life of a creation evangelist, if you want to call me that. And I want to share some of that with you, my friends and my fans here on Biblical Genetics. But as I'm traveling, I'm seeing all these interesting things. Just last weekend, I was at the Continental Divide between the East Coast and the West Coast, right there in the middle of Yellowstone. On my way home from the airport, I had to drive across the Eastern Continental Divide. That's the place where the water either flows to the Atlantic Ocean or the Gulf of Mexico. I want to use that as a, a way to talk about divisions within science. Now, I love it when I find evolutions that are fighting. I love it when Two evolutionists are like cats and dogs yelling at each other at scientific meetings. I love it when they write a paper that eviscerates one of the other guys. I say, I see that. They're fighting with each other. They're both discounting each other. They're both proving each other wrong. Evolution actually doesn't work. But that sometimes is a mistake because we're always doing that to our opponents. We're always looking for the weaknesses and the fatal flaws. We're always trying to trump up differences when in some cases, these are just friendly disputes. In some cases, it's professionalism. Healthy debate is good for science. Healthy debate is how science progresses. So Creation Ministries International, we wrote a book called, the, uh, called Evolution Say the Oddest Things. It's basically the old uh, evolution or creation quote book, but we took it and we thoroughly vetted every single statement. If we couldn't find the original source, we deleted it. We made sure the context was there. We made sure the reference was there. It is a thoroughly researched, not taken out of context, not quote mining, uh, quotes from evolutionists basically disproving evolution. Evolutionists say the oddest things. Excellent book by uh, Leader Cosner, Lita Sanders now. I highly recommend that. But turning that around, the evolutionists can look at the creationists and say, look at that, they're fighting like cats and dogs. Look at that, they disagree with one another. Look at that, they're contradicting one another. And they can think that there's this giant war within creation which really doesn't exist. I mean, I disagree with a lot of people, a lot of my good friends I disagree with. But it's part of the debate. My, my friend Mike Ord, a uh, popular speaker, uh, he's written a lot of books that CMI produces. He has a, this idea that he uses a lot. He actually got it from the secular evolutionary literature. It's called the principle of multiple working hypotheses. That is, don't fixate on one idea as the absolute answer. Hold in your mind multiple ideas and weigh them and judge them and acknowledge that some of them are stronger than others, but they all might have some valid points. And in that way, as you're working through all these things, you don't get pigeonholed or stuck in one particular way of thinking. Your mind is a little more open. So I'm a big fan of multiple working hypotheses. I have many of them in my head at all times. I don't necessarily know the answer to a lot of the big questions, but I have several possible answers and we can have discussions and robust debate amongst us. Now, looking at the debate within creationism, there are divisions in where people want to draw the so-called flood-post-flood boundary. In the past, I would have put it right at the end of the Cretaceous, at the end of the dinosaur era. That's where the flood ended. But there's an awful lot of geology that happens after that. 
So I no longer hold to that. In fact, Dr. Tim Clary at ICR, he's the one who had the biggest impact upon me. His maps of the geologic column across the world showed me that the flood was still very active after the end of the Cretaceous. So I'm now going to have a high post-flood boundary. Decades in the past, we had what, I don't know what they called it, but we called it the European model. There were significant European creationists who had a very low flood boundary to the point where almost all of the fossil record would have happened after the end of the flood, which was untenable because then you would need worldwide catastrophes and that would make no sense because the flood is the worldwide catastrophe. Another friend of mine who I believe wants to remain anonymous has a bloggy sort of a website where in one of his articles he coined a phrase, I think it was unique to him, I hadn't heard it before, the Y-E-H-E's, the Yee-He's, the Young Earth Hyper-Evolutionists. These are creationists who believe in a lot of change, much more change than I am comfortable with. They would put whales on Noah's Ark as legged wolf-like creatures that evolved into whales, frankly, almost instantaneously after the flood. I mean, within a couple centuries, we have giant baleen and giant toothed whales who came from legged animals on the ark. I just don't see that. I don't see any type of a scenario where that could be possible. The latent information that must have been hiding in their genomes, the, uh, the amount of selection, the amount of change, the amount of steps that would be required, there's just not time for that. I just wrote a very uncomfortable article. It was a review of my dear friend Nathaniel Jensen's book, Traced. Now, I like Traced. I agree with a lot of the things in the book but there are some things I disagree with and I had to put that into my review. That's now on creation.com. It was on, in the Journal of Creation. You can read it for free if you want. Just creation.com, type in trace, it's there. I, I didn't want to write this, but I am a geneticist. He's a geneticist, we're both talking. And afterwards, he and I had a very long conversation. I made sure, I said, did I insult you? Did I belittle you? Did I say anything demeaning? He said, no, you treated me fairly. I said, good. Because I actually had a whole bunch of people read this first because I wanted to make sure I took out all the invective, all the personality, and just stuck to the facts. And then we had a long discussion, I mean, hours long discussion on the facts. And it turns out that he said a couple of things. He says, oh, okay, I hadn't considered that. So he influenced me a little more towards his position. I said a few things that maybe he hadn't considered. Maybe I influenced him towards my position a little bit. This is part of healthy scientific endeavor. This is the way it works. We have to disagree with one another. We have to love each other at the same time. That's the hard part, but we can do that. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Randy Galuza, the president of ICR, he has got this continuous environmental tracking model, which I have said in public is absolutely brilliant. I love it. We should be considering the organism, not the environment. Darwin glossed over biology by talking about the environment as a driver of natural selection and evolution, but no, it's the organism. That's the level that all these effects happen. We need to be taking an engineering approach to biology. Brilliant. But I've also said in public, I disagree with him on his flat-out rejection of natural selection. I think selection has a very important part in the creation model. Now, he might not say natural selection is not true, totally false, leaning that direction, but I don't think it's 100% or absolute, but I put a lot more weight on it than he would, and so within creationism we have this debate upon how much of effect does natural selection have. Is it real? Does it really work? It certainly doesn't work the way Darwin anticipated, but it still does have a play, have a role in the creation model. There's another debate within the young earth creation community and that's about dinosaurs and whether or not they had feathers. I don't think they had feathers. I've seen all the evidence. Yeah, some of it's 
okay. I mean, it's equivocal at best. There's definitely not feathers on a lot of dinosaurs. We have skin impressions. And we definitely have a lot of strange bird-like creatures. Are they dinosaurs or not? That's the question. How much diversity did God create? But honestly, the Bible doesn't say that dinosaurs did not have feathers. So I don't care if they had feathers or not. They can be feathered. They can be scaled. It doesn't matter to me. I want to know, but I'm not persuaded by the evidence so far. But there are clearly feathers in the fossil record, and there are clearly birds in the fossil record. Weird birds. Birds with teeth, birds with wing claws, birds with a flat breastbone instead of a keeled breastbone like the chicken that you ate for dinner last night. But there are birds today that have a flat breastbone like the Hoatzin and wing claws like the Hoatzin. They don't have teeth in their bills. By the way, a bill, um, a bird can move his upper bill. You and I and other jawed animals, we can't. Only our lower jaw moves. So the difference between a bird bill beak and a reptile jaw, just saying, it's there, more debate. There's more debate about um, the timing of ancient Egypt. Who was the Pharaoh of the Exodus? Who was the Pharaoh of Joseph's time? Uh, what time period were the Israelites in Egypt? Can't, where do you shave off the time? Because clearly Egyptian history is too long for the young earth creation model. Now, if you use the Septuagint Bible, or the Septuagint Greek version of the Bible, you get several extra centuries, and now and it's much easier to fit ancient Egyptian history into a biblical timeline. But I don't accept the Septuagint as the original. That's another debate within uh, creationism. There are people who hold the Septuagint very strongly, people who are wa wavering in between, and people like me, I've analyzed it. I've analyzed as much as I should analyze it, and you know what? I'm totally unconvinced by the arguments. I think the Masoretic is the original. It doesn't mean that we might not be able to modify a couple statements here and there, but the Septuagint is not the original. Uh, you can read all my articles on creation.com. Most of them I wrote with Lita Sanders, uh, critical thinker, beautiful scholar, and uh, we had a lot of fun writing those. So they're there for you. They're very long though. If you want to get into the debate, you have to learn a lot. But that influences our views of ancient history of the Middle East. Um, you know, what time period in Mesopotamia is post-Babel, and what time period of Mesopotamia is pre-Babel? That's a huge, huge dis debate. I think that the Ubayid period and the Ziggurats and all that stuff is post-Babel, post-spread. Ziggurats are a late development after the population grew to some significant size. I don't think the Tower of Babel was a Ziggurat. I think it was a, I don't know, a clay brick structure, and who knows how big it was, and even who knows how where it was. I don't think it was in southeast Iraq necessarily. It's probably in northwest Syria or somewhere near the mountains up in the northern area, far, far away from the traditional, at least since the 1920s, Ur. I don't think that's the biblical Ur. But again, it's debatable. We argue. We don't fight. We robustly debate the issues. And that's the point. That's how science works. That's how science is supposed to work. Let me leave you with something the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus. He said this while he was in prison, and he wrote in Ephesians 4, 1 through 4, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. My friends, yes, there is debate, but debate should be healthy. If we approach this in a loving manner, we can take our friends and our colleagues that we disagree with and sit down over a cup of coffee or ask questions at a conference or write articles about each other 
in the proper scientific way, which should remove the emotion and just examine the facts. There's no reason to catcall. There's no reason to denigrate. We are all in the same boat here. In fact, we're a minority community and we need to be working together. We need to be linking arms, pushing forward toward the ultimate common goal, and that is heaven. But before we get there, we're here on earth, and we're being called by God to do His work on earth, which is to further the gospel, to help people to understand the truths in the Bible, to be salt and light in the dark communities in which we live. So in one sense, the evolutionists can fight all they want. I don't care. Yeah, I can look at them and I can laugh and I can say, ha, poke fun at them. See, like, look at that. These guys are fighting. They don't know what they're talking about. But I have to be very careful when I'm examining the creationist model. I have to be very careful when I'm examining myself. I've fallen into this trap many times. I have not always treated my, my colleagues fairly. I have made mistakes in my arguments. I've made mistakes in my logic. I've made scientific errors. I have failed to fundamentally understand some critical issues. And yet I do this for a living. This is my life. I, I've invested in this heavily. And yet I'm still a frail, fallible human being. And so are you. So let's do our best to lay aside our petty jealousies. Let's do our best to take the high road here. There's no need to shout. There's no need to belittle. But when someone is saying something we disagree with, we, we have the right to disagree in public, out loud. Let's just do it carefully because the world is watching.